electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. It is, as Carl said, a make-it-or-break-it week for tech, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Microsoft. All reporting earnings will debate what's at stake for the markets and your money with our investment committee. Liz Young with us today, head of investment strategy at SoFi, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova. It's good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall. Stocks are higher across the board as we do get into the busiest week of earnings season, headlined by big tech. Let's go to the wall, show you the calendar of what is really at stake, because it all begins tomorrow afternoon. Alphabet, Microsoft, Wednesday, Apple, Facebook, Thursday, Amazon. There it is, Jim Labenthal. Farmer Jim, how much is riding on this week for big tech? So, you know what? A lot. A lot, Scott. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. And I'm as long-term an investor as you're going to find. But that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to what's going on this week. This is an incredibly important week. You've got the top six companies by market cap in the S&P 500 reporting. You left out Tesla, by the way. That's this afternoon. Um, it's, it's an incredible tell on where investor sentiment is. Number one, the expectations are that all of these companies are going to exceed estimates. But how the market responds to them is going to be an indication of the risk appetite right now. And let's, let's not forget that if you look at, say, an Apple or an Amazon, these things have basically languished. They've basically gone nowhere this year or for the last seven months. So this could be, and I think will be, the catalyst that breaks them out to new highs I'm going to include Qualcomm in there as well. But look, if they disappoint on earnings or even worse, if they exceed expectations and the market doesn't respond with a follow through on price, that's a bad sign. Uh, By the way, just to make it clear, that's not the base case that I'm assuming. I think this is going to be a week that at the end of this, we're very happy, Scott. All right. So, Steve Weiss, you bought Facebook and calls heading into the numbers this week. Is that a tell on where you think the real money is going to be made? Which stock has the most to gain out of these numbers? Because Facebook's not all that far away from a 52-week high. In fact, it's only 4% away, and that was set earlier this month on April the 8th. So Facebook is more of a trade. If you recall, I had the options. I had the 310s and 315s, and when the stock got 312, I sold those calls because losing time value money. When it traded below 300 last week, I went back into the calls. I don't even know if I'll be there when they report Wednesday afternoon. But I do expect it to continue moving up on the optimism, on the liquidity in the market, and on the feeling that it's going to be a great quarter. The calls, in a telling way, expire on Friday. Of course, the stock doesn't. So it's more of, look, everything's moving. The market's moving higher. It's big tech's got a bid because it's languished. The volatility's down, so they're acting like great stocks. So I just thought it was minimal risk and pretty good upside. Well, do you agree? Do you trade. agree with Jim and the premise that we're putting forth, Steve, that this is a make it or break it week for for these stocks? I mean, look, some of them, sure, they have performed 
quite well. Over the last three months, for example, Microsoft's up 12.5% and Alphabet's up 20, 21%. Facebook's good for 7.5%. Apple's been a loser by 6%. Amazon's done next to nothing. Uh, those two stocks are more off their 52-week highs than, than anything else. What do you really think is riding on this week at a time where, frankly, we're discussing whether a correction is likely, whether it's time to be bullish or time to be cautious? So that's a great question. Cumulatively, if you have all of them throw Tesla in there, as, as Jim did, if they all miss, which I don't see happening, then that will be a tell in the market. Then it'll take the market down just because of numbers. If one or two of them miss, look, in the numbers you laid out that Apple's down, that Amazon's down, I think the market looks past it. I don't think the market really cares. Look at what it's doing in the aftermath of Netflix. Netflix caught a little bit of bid, not much. I just think they're blips. So if their knee jerks down on not meeting expectations or the stocks trade down because they exceeded expectations, there's plenty else in the market. I'm not concerned about it well, at all. The market just isn't focused on those anymore. I mean, let's be clear, though, right, Steve? I mean, with all due respect to Netflix and Netflix investors, um, Netflix doesn't carry the same weight figuratively or literally as these other big, big tech right. stocks do, right? So. I mean, OK, so Netflix, I mean, you should even take it out of the fangs now in, in terms of talking about it in terms of its importance to the overall market, because Microsoft is more important, I think, to the overall market. And I'm, I'm not like breaking any new ground here than in Netflix, for example. So, you know, if Apple misses, that could be a problem. If Microsoft misses, that could be a, a problem, given the size of, of what those stocks are. Liz Young, do you agree of, of all that's riding on, on this this week? This is definitely a week where the rubber hits the road. And, and the big question is how much of it was pulled forward into 2021 and how much of it has actual staying power in these stocks, how much growth has staying power in these stocks. But I think what we're looking at here is that investors look at these big cap tech names. And I'm going to I'm going to say this with the exception of Tesla, these big cap tech names as blue chips. And this is a bet on the American economy. And there's a difference between a rebound and a recovery. We've largely seen a rebound in the economy and in the market, but we've lost out on an entire year of growth that could have happened. So now not only the economy, but stocks like these big tech names have to prove that they can create new organic growth. And that's where earnings come in. So this is a big week for them. I don't think they're going to miss. I don't think it's going to be terribly disappointing. I agree with Jim's thesis that we're going to get to the end of the week and it'll have been good news. I don't know that the market's going to overly reward good news because we're expecting it. But I do think that we're going to get better news than everybody's expecting. Well, part of my point, though, Liz, is if you're looking for where is that next leg higher in the rally going to come from, from some stocks that haven't participated lately that are very large like the, these the, the apples of the world and, and Amazon, for example, that if you're looking for a next leg, this would be the place to look. So, you know, maybe the bar is not as low as people are thinking. I agree with that. And something else that I think people should keep in mind is that the tech sector has the largest international revenue exposure of any sector in the S&P. So if Europe is behind us on the recovery, if EM is a little bit behind or there's spotty parts of EM, as the rest of the globe picks up and catches up to the U.S., the big tech names should benefit from that as well. So there's a couple different tailwinds here, not to mention that the yield curve has not been as volatile as it was in the beginning of the year. The other point, I guess, to be made, Joe, and, and somebody had referenced Tesla. We didn't forget about it. It's just we wanted to hit these others first. To me, 
I'm wondering, Joe, if, if you think Tesla is a referendum of sorts, and I know it's a, maybe a Tesla-specific story as well, but a referendum on high valuation, high multiple growth, and that you know Tesla has a lot to live up to as well. It te Tesla does, but Tesla classifies itself as one of these companies that has underperformed so far in the uh, last couple of months. Tesla is basically its own index, so I don't see Tesla as impacting significantly the market. I think overall for these tech names, there's been enough of a rotation within the market where it's allowed for Amazon to move sideways since September. It's allowed for Apple to be below its peak that it was achieved back in January. Uh, I look at all of that collectively, Scott, and I say to myself, what if we could finally get the composition where there is broad participation, where, to Jim's point, maybe Apple and Amazon break out and other areas of the equity market don't see detrimental outflows because of that. Maybe everything just participates. That's a little bit parabolic in its nature. Maybe it's problematic for the second half of the year, and I would suggest it probably is. But that's a, probably a low probability scenario that ultimately could unfold here in the next week or so. Jim, who's got the most pressure? This week, is it Apple where, you know, and one analyst report today, Deutsche Bank, they're talking about expectations being in increasingly low. Is it Apple because it's underperformed a stock that you've added to on multiple occasions in the last four to six weeks? Or is it one of the stocks that has been hitting a new 52 week high just simply because of that fact alone? Uh, you know, you kind of you kind of gave it to me with your question. I think it is Apple, right? There are some questions hanging out there. The biggest one, and we've discussed this, are we in a super cycle for 5G upgrades or not? Um, and so, you know, the, the, the bull thesis is, look, there's a lot of stimulus checks in people's pockets out there. They want the latest and greatest phones. Phones are more important than ever. I know some other people are going to look at the services, and they should, but I do think that there is a question hanging out there, and I'm curious to know the answer of how strong is this cycle for upgrades uh, with the 5G phones. So, I, and also, because it's such a big stock by market cap, I do think that's the one that has the most pressure on it. You know, I'll also add as a side note, you didn't ask about this. You know, Qualcomm, to me, should be in that category. And obviously, I've been talking about that a lot recently. On, on Wednesday. The 20% decline. On Wednesday, it reports. Yeah. The, yeah. The 20% decline in the share price over the last three months does make one pause and say, wait a second, what's going on here? The stars should be lining up nicely for Qualcomm, both with 5G and the lack of any legal uh, issues in front of it. So, you know, that's the one where I'm really expecting a pop. I'll be disappointed if I don't get it. Let's be clear, though, Jim. I mean, your, your sort of whole market thesis moving forward is reliant on Apple. Look, you, you added to it twice yeah. recently. You yep. told us the other day... Um, that you're as bullish as you've ever been on the market. So Apple better I, perform for your expectations individually. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I'm not backing off of the comment. Um, and you're the one who rightly catches me and says, wait a second, Jimmy, I've never seen you this bullish. Um, look, I'm aware of where prices are, whether it's the market in general or Apple. 
But I still look at how much fiscal stimulus, monetary support, vaccines, reopening, the whole thing. And I say, yep, this is the time that the throttles are supposed to be wide open, not just with tech, by the way. I mean, I don't want to veer away from tech because that's where we are in this conversation. But let's face it, there's some industrial doozies that are coming up this week. You tell me when you want to hit on Boeing as a for instance. We'll get that to that a little a little bit later uh, so we don't front run that conversation. Thank you very little. Uh, Steve Weiss. So. <laughs> Going into these numbers, Microsoft price target raised today 295 from 280, reiterated overweight over at KeyBank. Alphabet price target raised to 2400 from 2250 over at Truist. You go even higher than that at Wells Fargo today, which goes to 2650 from 2350. Facebook, the price target goes to $371 from $330, reiterated outperform. That leads me to you with the same question I asked Jim. Who's got the most pressure on it, the underperformer or the overperformer? Well, Jim's got the most pressure on him because he's so long Apple. Look, I, I think it's the outperformer. Apple, you hear, look, is five, are the phones going to be having the same sell-through that we saw last quarter? So there's some doubt there. There's no doubt about Microsoft. There's no doubt about Amazon. There's a little doubt, but not really, on Google and Facebook because ad strength has been so strong. So to me, the biggest pressure is in the, are on the ones that have been doing so well, and that's where you'd see the biggest decline as well if they don't do that well. Well, I mean, look, Facebook and Alphabet, I mean, especially Alphabet, 2020's underperformer mm -hmm. is the overachiever thus far. It's up 21% simply over the last three months and it's been at a high hitting a new one today and it's a quarter of one percent off of it now so you know joe is that is that how you see it too the the outperformers are the ones that need to step up and justify the reason that they've gotten there in the first place well you you never want to see a misstep from stocks that are performing strongly outperforming the rest of its uh, sector peers year to date you don't want to see that but I also would be uh, troubled if Amazon or Apple were to report quarters that would disappoint investors and you would see a negative price performance. I also think, by the way, the Apple earnings report is especially important towards the entire semiconductor industry itself. Just in kind of looking forward in the guidance and understanding what the supply and chip shortage really is going to do specific to the Apple business, but also uh, to the entirety of the technological industry. Speaking of, Weiss, you bought more Skyworks, right? You, you added to that. It got a price target bump today over at UBS. They go to 190 from 181. It's a stock you've talked about on numerous occasions here. Yeah, it, it's up about threefold since I bought it. Uh, actually, maybe a little more since I originally entered it. Look, their business, my thesis is 5G. Been very clear about that the last couple of years. And that the total addressable market for 5G companies has gone away from phones to essentially everywhere in the world. Skyworks is a perfect example. It wasn't that long ago that 100% of their business was dependent on phones. Now, before the deal, it was 30%. With the deal, the acquisition they made last Thursday immediately goes to 40%. And don't forget, they also have their own fabs, so they're not hit by supply chain interruptions like Qualcomm was last quarter. So this is the future. So they've gone from just being in phones to being in cars to being in Pelotons to being in factories. You name it, they've got a presence there and it's continued to grow. Now, last quarter, 70% of revenues came from Apple. So it's a risk this quarter 
in terms of their dependence on Apple. But I'm comfortable with that risk. I think this stock goes a lot higher than where it is, and that's why I add. It was already in core position. Now it's become a very, very big position. Farmer, Farmer Jim, NXPI is a big today story as well for a stock that's done incredibly well. More than 20% three months, more than 100% 12 months. You're in that name. Uh, it's been a heroic stock, and, you know, I also switched out of this from Intel, so you can imagine how much better I feel about life in general. Um, <laughs> the thing to think about with NXPI, yeah, the thing to think about with NXPI is, you know, how is the chip shortages affecting their pricing? How is it affecting their demand? Um, you know, they sell into the automotive industry. That's almost half of their business. If automotive production has been hobbled by chip shortages, I'm curious to see if that has backed up to them, even though they're supplying into that industry. So I think they're going to do well just because of pricing in this environment. Uh, but it definitely, it, all of these companies, whether it's NXPI, whether it's Skyworks or Qualcomm, there's a lot of insight into what's going on in the chip industry right now. Having them talk about how long these supply chain shortages are going to last is very important. Right, Liz, I mean, it's a short-term versus long-term thing. Sure, you know, supply con uh, constrained, of course, it's going to affect a lot of these chip stocks in the short term. But once we get back up to speed, you get a big catch-up effect as well on some of these names. Right. Well, the demand isn't going anywhere. Chips are needed in everything. We use chips in every part of our lives. So it has to catch up at some point. And really, the big question is how much of it bakes through into inflation? We're all already expecting inflation to come in in the short term. Over the longer term, if some of these companies have to start passing that through to consumers, which we've already heard some narrative about in the consumer staples sector, if we have to pass that through to consumers, that's how you get sticky inflation. Now, I don't think that that's an issue until later in 2021, maybe even 2022, but it's something to keep our eye on as a driver of inflation going forward. Joe, the Joe T ETF's got a lot of chips ex inside of it. Absolutely. It's got 8.7%. Uh, we own 11 names. Uh, I personally own Lamb Research. Besides that, you've got Clack, Skyworks, Qualcomm, Texas Instruments, which reports tomorrow, and I will I will raise my hand and say I've not spent enough time over the last year and a half talking about this company because it's probably one of the leading semis. I also think AMD, which the index owns, AMD is kind of uh, bottomed out from the correction that it's experienced. Remember, I owned it. We talked with Jim Cramer. He gave me a hard time about selling it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be short, and I would give consideration to personally buying that name back here. And then ultimately, the best chip just might be NVIDIA. That's a name on any correction that personally I would own. But you're right. The index owns a significant ex amount of exposure to semis. They're so critical, Scott, to the entire global uh, commerce industry. Yeah. Uh, they really are. And I've heard Josh mention this. They really are the new transports. Yeah. Um, speaking of critical, it, it really is a critical week. It's the busiest of earnings season. As we mentioned, many big names despite big tech. The big question on all of your minds, I know, are we headed for a correction or not? Let's welcome in our headliner. Keith Banks is vice chairman of Bank of America, the head of the Investment Solutions Group as well. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Good to see you, Scott. Good to be here. Yeah, Thank so, you. So it is a big week. Uh, how are you feeling about it, given the magnitude of earnings? Well, Scott, we, we think that the, the two big stories in the market, which will continue to be the two big stories in the market, are the strength of the economy and the strength of earnings. Um, even though consensus has come up quite a bit um, over the last number of months, we don't think they're really reflect, fully reflecting yet the potential of economic growth this year. 
at, at B of A, our global research team is now up to 7% this year uh, and 5.5% next year. And if anything, I would tell you the risk is to the upside, not the downside. And then the translation through earnings, same story. So um, I think right now we're at 185 for this year in the S&P, 205 for next year. But if you extrapolate what we're seeing so far in the first quarter to your, your point about the importance of the earnings reports, we're running well above 185. So we're, we're in a new world with the amount of liquidity with over 50% uh, of GDP coming from uh, fiscal and monetary policy with money growing at 27% year over year. Everyone's scrambling to translate what's that going to ultimately mean. And we still think there's upside to the numbers, both in the economy as well as uh, earnings. I mean, you're looking at, you know, you go 185. You're looking at a 24 multiple-ish um, on where some of the projections are. But what about the flip of that? Yes, agree with you a thousand percent, right? Everybody seems to be bullish on where economic growth is going to be. The question is, is this as good as it gets, right? And that's what sort of David Costin is talking about today over at Goldman, where he says domestic growth is peaking and forward equity returns are likely to be a modest one with 3% gain in the S&P 500. That gets you to the year end target of 4,300, right? That's not much higher from here, but okay. What if this is as good as it gets, Keith? Well, I think it's, it's a question of, you know, we, we think in the second quarter, you can see a 10% real growth number. You can see close to that again in the third quarter. That gets you to the seven. Once again, I think we can be higher than that, Scott. But, but the key is not just what's this year going to look like. It's what's next year going to look like. And if we can get a 5.5%, 6% growth on top of this year, you know, you can see some very powerful earnings. And it's not to say that the market's going to go straight up. I mean, we agree. We don't, we're not forecasting more than 4,300 this year. We had said, you know, 42, 4,300. Uh, we're already up over 11%. So it's been a good year. We'll get, we'll put some more on top of that. And then if, if next year, depending on where the earnings come out, if you can get another, you know, if you get 205, 210 next year in earnings, you put a 21, 22 multiple, you kind of get close to that 44, 4,500. And again, it's a, it's a nice increment off this year's strong performance and another percent and a half of yield. It's, it's not a bad place to be, yeah, especially what, relative to the uh, alternative. Sure. What, what about Biden tax policy? How much of a risk is, is all of that? And is the market just frankly too complacent about it? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And that's I mean, look, there's a lot for us. You know, I, I shared the things that are really strong and positive, but there are things the market's got to process and worry about. Number one, you know, it's the capital gains tax. Number two, it's the corporate tax increases. Number three, we think you're going to reach a point probably in the summer of this year where the Fed begins to talk about talk about tapering, because with the economy growing at the rates we see, we think employment is going to be incredibly strong. You can get a number of months of a million jobs being created. At some point, the Fed continuing to grow its balance sheet at $120 billion a month or $1.5 trillion a year is not going to be the right answer. So we got to sort through all that. Could you get a pullback at some point in the second half of the year? Sure you could. But I think at some point between the economic growth, earnings growth, we'll, we'll ultimately be able to power through that, assuming we don't get to the high end of the ranges. If we get the, you know, the extreme in the, in the tax rates on both capital gains and corporate, much more problematic. Right now, the thinking anyway is that there'll be a compromise and we won't get quite to the upper band. Sure. But I mean, just to be clear, you said you think we can, quote, power through that. So the market's going to be able to get through Fed taper talk and Biden tax hikes, even if they're not as severe as the worst case scenarios would suggest I they think, could be? 
Yeah, no, I think you could see a pullback, Scott. But I mean, we would say, a, you know, five, seven percent pullback. But I think with the amount of liquidity out there, you know, the interesting thing is with, with flows into both equities and fixed income, the biggest flows have been the cash. You know, we've got five point four trillion dollars of excess, sa excess savings globally, which represents six percent of global GDP. There's just a lot of liquidity looking for a place to go. And I think pullbacks, if the underlying fundamentals stay as strong as they could, will end up being an opportunity for people to move into. So, again, not a straight line. Mm -hmm. We're not crazy bulls. We're saying there's a lot of good things going on. And if, the, if we can process through some of the, the speed bumps coming up, then we think we can continue that upward trajectory over time. Weiss, question for Keith Banks? Sure. I don't want to make you a retired uh, vice chairman, so I won't ask you about specific stocks. But since you Thank sit you. on top of as much in assets as virtually any other asset manager in the world, let's put the question to you that Scott put to us. What do you think happens if the biggest tech companies, most important tech companies in the world don't come through this week? Will that dictate the direction of the market? And conversely, if they come through in spades, will that drive the market significantly higher? Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. I think the near-term earnings will be important to either validate that we're on the upswing we appear to be, again, this year being above even potentially 185. Um, but I think there's going to be a bifurcation, though, Steve. I mean, I think what the market's looking at right now is the big tech, the steady earners, high cash flow generators are the ones that will stay in favor. The ones with the big promises but short on profits, not so much. So I think um, it's an important week. But it's, it's, it's data points and what will be many data points that I think will ultimately drive the markets one way or another. Keith, appreciate it as always. Stay well. We'll talk to you soon. Here. Thank you. All right. That's Keith Banks joining us there. We are just getting started here. Up next, more earnings that need to be on your radar, including, as Farmer Jim said, Boeing. There's Visa as well. Many more plus for CNBC's upcoming special event. Inspiring America, we are honoring people making a positive impact in the world. One of those people is restaurateur Marcus Samuelson. He joins us today on The Half. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The Supreme Court will hear a challenge to New York State's restrictions on people carrying concealed handguns. 
The high court had turned down a review of the issue last June before the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. New York is one of eight states that limit the right to carry a weapon in public. The Biden administration expanding a program to feed up to 34 million school children during the summer months. Eligible families can get up to $375 per child. Overseas in Italy, police have rounded up 99 suspects as part of a massive anti-mafia operation. Hundreds of officers were involved. The suspects are being held on charges, including drug trafficking, attempted homicide and extortion. And how about this one? Another record price for a pair of sneakers. One point eight million dollars. That's for these Nike Air Yeezy prototypes co-designed by, of course, Kanye West. West also wore them at the 2008 Grammy Awards. So, Scott, that was a huge year for him, musically at least. Culturally, it was a big deal. And that record, three times the previous record for sneakers. So the uh, sneaker market, clearly no signs of slowing down there. Not at all. Well, thanks. <laughs> All right, Rahel Solomon. Big week of earnings on deck. As we said, Boeing, General Electric, Visa among the big companies set to report. All right, Farmer Jim, now's your chance. Three minutes into the show, you uh, wanted to Boeing. talk about Boeing. You wanted it. Uh, it was like six Here minutes. Here it is. You right? Here it right. is. I made Look, you I wait. Boeing. I made <laughs> you wait. Here you go. It's all yours. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not a Heinz commercial. Here we go. Boeing. Um, look, here's the things you're looking for. Execution, not financials. I don't care about earnings. I don't care about the balance sheet. It's too early for that. What's going on with the 737 max wiring issue? Is it a big issue or small? What's going on with 787 deliveries? Are they going to make their schedule for this year or not? And then after that, tell us about the 777X. Okay, they took a massive uh, charge on that in the fourth quarter. I want to I hear, is that program getting back on schedule? The last thing I want to hear on this call is some new massive charge charge that none of us are looking for you should just ask weiss because steve you bought more today so you have <laughs> you have high expectations going in well uh, not necessarily going in yes on the call that's a different story when we hear it wednesday morning i bought some last week as i said in the show on a fur trade and i added this morning significantly and it's it's a pretty monster sized position but i don't know if i'm going to be there when they report because i think you'll get enough of it prior to the report on Tuesday night. We have Europe talking about opening up to vaccinated players, vaccinated people. That's helping drive it today. Plus the stock bottomed at like 235. So that's why I bought it, more for a trade. I'll probably keep some exposure when they report, but there are just too many things here that can go wrong and you always get another chance with this stock. Always Farmer Jim. So don't bet the house on it just yet. Wow, so you, you might be a seller ahead of the number on Wednesday. Yeah, it's already been a good performer for me. It's been a nice trade, but that was my intention, being there for a trade. Wow. I'll keep a very small core we position. Ought, we ought to call him. I the, just don't think I'll, I know I won't keep it We ought to call you all. the 101st Airborne. We ought to call you the 101st Airborne. You're always pulling out your parachute on this one. Just stick with it for the next year. You'll be I okay. I thought it's because I was always dropping bombs on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Air Force, not the Army, you goofball. Oh, my God. That's sorry, all right. That man, was pretty sorry. good, though. We, we got the point anyway. I mean, you know, so all right, you got the wrong service, uh, but, but the point was well made. Uh, Joe, you're watching Cat and ExxonMobil. Yeah, I think it's important to take a look at these companies and get a little bit of a glimpse into what's going on 
as it relates to the virus outside the United States? Is it slowing down economic activity? Certainly, we hear about the headlines in India and Brazil. We're also seeing uh, some other areas where there's been a slowdown. So cats kind of moved sideways since the middle of March. Let's see if it could restart some of the momentum, but really provide some guidance in terms of the fundamentals outside the U.S. Liz, um, energy, right, with Exxon and Chevron. Where are you on energy, given what oil prices have done and the fact that the dollar has started weakening again? Well, I think energy, if we look at fossil fuel energy for the next three to six months, still a good place to be. And you're going to see, obviously, a pickup in activity, and that's going to drive the fossil fuels. If you want to be a long-term investor, I think Jim said at the top of the show, he's the longest long-term investor there is. If you want to be the longest long-term investor, you buy clean energy. All right. Up next, the big ETFs to watch today. Plus, this is Financial Literacy Month. And CNBC is committed to sharing messages from business leaders about the importance of financial education. Here is Far Peak Acquisition CEO and the former NYSE president, Tom Farley. We need to start young. We need to educate everyone about the importance of money. Educate everyone about what it takes to be an entrepreneur or start a business. Teach them about how to become financially free, if you will. I had a benefit of growing up in a household where I was taught this on a daily basis, primarily by being pushed out the door to go work hard to earn a few bucks to have in my pocket. But everybody needs that opportunity. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the ETF Edge portion of the Halftime Report. I'm Leslie Picker. With the vaccine rollout ramping up and more Americans venturing outside their homes again, the reopening trade is going strong. And just in time for the spring travel season, more and more reopening-sensitive ETFs are coming to market. In fact, Advisor Shares launched two such funds just this past week. The Advisor Shares Hotel ETF ticker symbol BEDZ and the Advisor Shares Restaurant ETF ticker symbol EATZ. But some are worried that all the optimism is already baked into the market, and this is as good as it gets. Let's ask the man behind these two new launches. Noah Hammond is CEO of Advisor Shares. Also joining us today is Tom Leiden, CEO of ETF Trends. Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, Noah, what do you think? Are we past the peak of the reopening trade at this point? I don't think so. I think it's just beginning. You know, you've got American savers who have been holding back capital, not able to do anything and spend their money, their disposable income, um, and they're going to be ready to spend it and they'll spend it aggressively. And they'll do that in industries like restaurants or hotels that are really ready to soak up this demand. So I think it's going to continue for a while. Tom, what do you think the demand looks like right now for ETFs that are broken down into some of these kind of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic plays? Uh, is that still an attractive feature in ETFs? It is, Leslie, in a whole variety of ways. Thematic ETFs have been hugely popular, attracting a lot of money in the ETF space. And uh, it's not just been what's worked during the pandemic, but as Noah mentions, you know, when we see these areas of the market that reopening, that's real positive. However, I got to say this, when you look at restaurants, 
they're having struggles hiring people right now because a lot of that uh, lower paid workforce actually was doing other things during the pandemic, going mm. back to school, finding other careers, and also food prices have gone through the roof. So the profitability of restaurants and actually hotels is something we need to keep an eye on too. But people are happy spending their stimmy checks right now. I just booked my first hotel in over a year, <laughs> so I'm optimistic on the space. I did the same and, and some airline tickets as well. Uh, Noah, Tom, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Morgan Creek's Mark Yusko and Stuart Frankel, Steve Grosso, join us to talk SPACs and inflation. SPACs on ETFedge.cnbc.com at 1 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss it. Scott, back over to you. All right. Good couple of people to hear from. Les, thank you. That's Leslie Picker coming up. Inspiring America, restaurateur Marcus Samuelson on how he is making a positive impact in his community and much more. We're back right after this. Okay, we are back. Our call of the day involves Jim Labenthal's single largest position. Pull Jimmy up. Let's see, Jimmy. Because Cleveland Cliffs, Jim, uh, why are you smiling? The stock got downgraded. Cleveland Cliffs, the sector weight at KeyBank, price target, not applicable. The prior one was 20 bucks. Shares are fully valued currently, they say. They look at risks and changes in the global automotive and industrial demand and the U.S. dollar, among other things. What do you say, Jim? This is a, this is, this is a terrible call. I'm sorry. I can't sugarcoat this for the analyst. <laughs> um, first off, I'm smiling because the stock's up 2% today. So that's what the market thinks of the call. Um, this is a company that raised guidance twice in the last month, just in the last month. And the last time was two days ago uh, on Thursday uh, on the earnings call. So, you know, I, he, the analyst is, be, is below the uh, guidance, not by a lot, but below the guidance. He's got a multiple that doesn't reflect uh, the fact that the balance sheet is getting, debt is getting paid down like crazy. And he's just offsides. This is a company run by a CEO, uh, Lorenzo Goncalves, who is spoon feeding the analyst community what they need to know. If he wants to get offsides with this, that's that's his it's his call. But it's the wrong call. Well, I mean, and he's, he's been on to get a call. From he's been on sides the whole time, though. Right. I mean, they, they upgraded the stock in, no, in November yeah. of 2020, November 19th. The shares are up 102 percent. The S&P is up 17 Right. So he was on sides. What's what's the problem with advising somebody to hit, hit the sidelines for, for a little bit? Yeah. If he's if he's doing this, as you just said, go to the sidelines for a little bit. There's a pretty big danger that the stock runs away from you and you never get back into it. That's why I haven't tried to trade this. You and I have had a little bit of a discussion about this. And that's why it's grown to be so large is because I don't trade it. I just let the company keep doing what it says it's going to do. And by the way, its guidance per the press release is based on conservative pricing uh, for iron ore and steel, which if you look at what those markets are doing, uh, this is not the time to be conservative on those pricings. So I just I think he is offsides. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see who's right, but I, I think he's going to be chasing this stock to get back into it. Remember where we are in the economic cycle. People are buying cars. They're buying washing machines. That's where steel is being sold uh, from Cleveland Cliffs. So I, I, I just don't get it. OK, no, that, you're entitled to your opinion for sure. By the way, uh, it's going calls, right? He's the CEO. He um, yes. he's going to be on with Jim Cramer tonight, by the way, on Mad Money. I'm looking. Jim just tweeted that. So you don't want to miss that. I'm sure Jim's going to ask him about the downgrade. Um, and look, uh, you're, you're obviously not the only bullish shareholder here. Steve Weiss, you own the stock, too. 
Yeah, I'm happy to be Minor Jim's wingman on this one. Uh, I also own Valet because iron ore is so strong. They'll report tonight. I think it's going to be a good quarter. They already gave the production numbers up 16% year over year. That'll help lift Cleveland Cliffs as well. So we'll win both ways on that. So look, China's doing too well. The rest of the world's coming along. I just think it keeps going. You'll get the infrastructure bill. This is the place to be. Joe, Don't blame me for wanting to take a profit up 100%, but I'm staying. Joe, give me 20 seconds on Freeport, which you bought more of, because you're bullish copper. I did. You had a earnings sell-off. I took the other side of it. It's anything commodities right now. Wheat, corn, soybeans, eight-year high. Palladium, copper, all-time high. Coffee, three-year high. Dollar, two and a half percent lower on the month. Commodities are flying higher. All right, good stuff. When we come back, Inspiring America. Restaurateur Marcus Samuelson joins us on how he's making a positive impact in his community and much more. We'll do it next. We're leading up to the launch of our special event, Inspiring America, and highlighting extraordinary people making a positive impact in their communities. Today, we're joined by Marcus Samuelson, the acclaimed chef behind many restaurants worldwide, including Red Rooster Harlem, Marcus Montreal, and many more. Marcus, welcome. It's good to welcome you back on CNBC. I hope you're well. Thank you for having me. Happy to be back on. You know, you really did inspire us during the pandemic with your own personal call to action by opening up your restaurants to feed people in need. What inspired you to do that? And when did you know you had to do something? Well, I think that it was those last week of February, first week of March, that we realized that this, we're going to be impacted and we have to figure out a different way to be part of the community. And, uh, you know, that's when the team and I reached out to Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen here in New York, but also uh, partner with, Newark Central Kitchen in Newark, and realized there was we could still be a meaningful restaurant and be part of the community. We just have to change how we were serving people. Um, and it's been uh, the biggest transformation we've ever been part of. The pandemic, as we know, impacted communities of color more severely th- than others. You have a, a new initiative as well uh, to help black-owned restaurants. Can you tell us about that? BBMMF, Black Businesses Matter Matching Fund. What exactly is it? Yeah, I mean, as we were in the middle of this, and I started to get called, and our friends were starting to get called from, from people in the business, but also outside the business, because this impacts retail in general, right? And restaurant is part of that. And 41% of all black businesses have closed because of the pandemic. And that's a humongous, that's a huge number, right? Specifically, when you think about how black wealth is very different than generational wealth in terms of other communities, and we don't have access to traditional capital, right? So these are people's savings that they have that started these businesses. So we thought, what can we do? And we partnered together with Uber Eats to create Black Business Matters Matching Fund to really drive business, but also create grants, uh, not loans, uh, because I do think it's a combination really here between providing grants for black businesses and business of colors. That's how we're going to get back, and that's how entrepreneurship is going to come back. I want you to tell me about your new book as well. It's called The Rise, Black Cooks and the Soul of American Food. It's a cookbook, but it sounds to me like this is something more with a deeper meaning to you. Yeah, I mean, we worked on the rise for four years, and it came out uh, last fall in the middle of our country having a conversation about inclusion and civil rights movement, and and it's 
black chefs in this country are amazing. We've historically been part of the fabrics of American food, but yet not gotten the attention, been broadcasted in a way that we should have. So this was a way to, for our audience, our readers, to learn more about black cooking, learn more about black excellence, and also know that there are black chefs across the country and that you can go and support them. All black chefs are not in restaurants. Some are somehow are having food trucks, some are private chefs, some are catering companies, but we're out here, and in times like this, we need your support more than ever. I'm wondering if I could ask you, you know, how, how business is, how you're thinking about things these days. It's interesting. I was speaking with a, a chef at a well-known restaurant in Manhattan who was telling me the other day how hard it is to find workers. Are you seeing the same problems? What are your prospects going forward as we all try and get back to whatever normal is going to look like on the other side of the pandemic? Sure, it's a challenge to find staff, but I have to tell you what was even harder was not to have a business at all. So um, whatever you do when you own a business, there's going to be challenges, right? Um, and this challenge is, is a tough one, but uh, coming from where we came from a year ago or six months ago, uh, this is a better challenge than what we've had before. I, I feel like restaurant people are very... Uh, hardworking and collaborative, and we're going to figure out how to navigate through this. The most important thing now is for us to uh, open up our patios, getting our customers back, and slowly uh, getting back to the new normal, right, which might be, you know, we've converted some of our business to digital or takeout or different versions of gifting, um, and we got to build our business back, mm -hmm. and it's going to take not just one year. It's probably going to take two to three years. But staffing questions and, and conversation is part of that. So, yes, it's difficult, but compared to where we were a year ago, um, I welcome this challenge. Yeah, well, we will see you soon, and uh, as you continue to inspire us, that's Marcus Samuelson joining us there by phone. You'll hear many other incredible individuals as well on Inspiring America. The 2021 Inspiration List airing Saturday, May 1st on NBC at 8 p.m. and right here on CNBC on Sunday, May 2nd at 3 p.m. Eastern. Final trades are next. Final trades, names only. Liz, you start us off. Transportation ETF XTN. XPO. TMO. Bungie. Oh, we did it, even with a delay. That does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.